Welcome to the hashtag blessed version of the Millennial Path. I'm your host, Josiah, and today we have even more hosts with us because we're kind of changing the format. So I don't know. I, we didn't really talk about it about, about in order, but who's on the who's on the show with us today? Who's gonna okay, go way first? to screw up the whole intro, though. I'm your co-host, no. Byron. Ah, we screwed up the whole flow, you. dude. I'm your who's co-host, on, Who else Will, is on here? I guess. <laughs> Question mark. Are we keeping this? <laughs> yeah, we're a hundred percent. We are a hundred percent keeping this, Amy. Only awesome co-host, Amy. The only awesome co-host, Amy. Wow. So here's here's the deal. We're already throwing shade we were friends, because Amy. that's yeah, exactly. Wait, we don't like coffee and guac and uh, avocado. I thought we were friends. Yeah, we we're besties. We we're besties. It's all good. <laughs> Oh, my Lanta. Because we wanted to kind of continue to experiment with the format of the show, we're going to do it a little differently this week. We're going to have basically a panel that is asked questions by yours truly, and that panel is those co-hosts you just heard, whether they're co-hosts or panelists or I don't know. I don't really know all the different labels for podcasting, but we're going to People have it. names, Josiah. <laughs> yeah, labels have... <laughs> <laughs> we like to label things though on this podcast apparently i think that's what you're don't, alluding don't to, you right, hate Will? it when someone uses your own words against you it's the worst it happens so that's often called marriage too. it's terrible oh, that's been my experience <laughs> i actually said that to also my wife being a dad I said, don't use my own words against me that's not fair wait till your seven-year-old does it that's really fun <laughs> oh my lanta <laughs> For real, though, we're going to have three segments per usual. We're going to have two five-minute segments to start off and then a 10-minute segment because it seems like it's worth having longer, uh, a longer segment of time to talk about. But instead of just having a general flow of a dialogue, we're going to do rapid-fire questions from each of our panelists in each of these segments. And they sort of know what we're talking about. I sort of warned you guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Sort of. <clears throat> Sort of. <laughs> Amy, are you so excited about this? I am this? so excited. I'm the most excited about this ever because I don't have to answer the questions. Anyways, uh, with same sort of format, we're going to do a this week discussion for segment one. We're going to talk about culturally relevant things, or maybe we think they're culturally relevant. And you can tell us we're, we're not even on the same planet as our listeners or something in segment two. And then segment three is still talking about theologically significant things. But we're going to start... We're going to start with segment one. So you guys ready? You guys excited? Rip Rowan ready to go? No. no. Did you no. say no, no I Amy? Said, let's go. Oh, it's Roll the tape back. No. I did not say no. We don't have any interns that can do that for us at the present. So we'll have Just to listen live later. It's also digital. Also, not a lot of tape true. involved. All right. Uh, <sighs> bestie. Segment one. <laughs> segment one. We're going. Segment one this week currently happening. Will, you're first. Okay. How often do you preach? Well, it kind of depends, but I had been preaching every week, but I co-pastor. And, and so now my co-pastor and I are, are sharing the pulpit now. So I do uh, twice a month at least. When you were preaching every week, why was that happening? We had a flood here and it split our congregation in half. Like literally the road was was uh the water receded but the road was torn up there's huge holes in in the road and so we we couldn't get over the river um we we were like right on the missouri river and so i'm on we're on the missouri side or our building is 
and but we have a lot of Nebraskans. And so we were literally split. And so I was pretty either on the Nebraska side or on the Missouri side. So No way. So now you pre cool. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Amy. I guess I'll allow it as your moderator. I'll allow that comment. Uh but when you preached every week, Will, that was because you guys basically almost had like two different services, but the same church technically. Yeah, we definitely had two services. Yep. Yep. Same church. Two, two different geographical locations. So question for you, because n- normally if, if that wasn't the case, you don't preach every week. But when you were preaching every week, I'm just curious, did it kind of feel like your week revolved around the sermon? No, no, um, unless it was a really rough week. If unless there's a lot going on, then so so what I try to do is I try to I try to be as prepared as possible in advance for that. And especially if I'm preaching a series and it's a lot easier uh, or if I'm preaching from the lectionary, which I don't do every Sunday, but I do do some. Um, and, and I did while while we were split, I, I did almost every Sunday, almost. Uh, and I was in Luke a lot. And, and so so that was helpful because you kind of already know where you're going and and where where Luke's going and so 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 it helps out a lot. So no, I wouldn't say it revolves around the sermon. Um but it's in your mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. You got to yeah. Definitely. Okay, last question and then Amy's up. Uh how many hours a week if you want to try to average it out do you spend on sermonizing? At least 5, probably more than that. It just it just depends on what you mean by sermonizing um you know, if you if you include all the all the research and then on the on the side of just thinking about it, you know, not not necessarily like formal preparation, but thinking about it, uh, you know, five is probably way under. But I don't know. It's I, hard I would to say quantify. five to eight, maybe. But but not all of that is like sitting at a desk. You know what I mean? Typing and, for sure. And, and you're and, not and you reading. don't have your nose in a book in a study. Not, not always. Not always. But I'd say I'd say at least five hours of of. Yeah, five to eight hours, somewhere in there. Amy, how often do you preach? I preach every week that somebody shows up. <laughs> so most most, most weeks, most I guess, weeks, is that but some some months are slower than others. So at least twice a month. Just a reminder: Amy is in a in a house church, which is basically a church that meets in her house. So when you do preach regularly every week, and that was obvious, right? Is that why? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. I couldn't you. hold it. I tried to. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll yeah, we'll let it slide. Meets in a house. Yeah, it's small group. Yeah, it's a so church. I mean, there's a reality that if you know people cancel that I don't preach, it's not like. What about your kids? Day. Don't they need a sermon every week? <laughs> that's funny (laughs) literally preaching to the choir so when you do preach every week amy does it kind of feel like that sermon is a monkey on your back or no absolutely especially when i'm in in school so yeah so same question as well at the end how many hours do you spend on your sermon every week do you think i think and as you asked him probably about the same at least eight hours it just depends. But it, it depends. Um, I don't do lectionary, although I'm thinking of going that way. I just I have we have people that uh, we've we've done different series. So right now I'm doing a series on prayer. So it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more guided for me. Like if I can pinpoint something a little bit um, to make it go smoother and less less studying, like less. <laughs> 
like get all the books out and have to do all the research it, it goes a little faster so i have a quick question so, just uh if i can what i, I was gonna ask you well, i was gonna yeah, ask, you can ask this me is one. not super relevant to me not being a pastor anymore um but that's okay you can still ask me but um i was gonna say do you use like amy do you use like books and things that kind of give you ideas or do you literally like i want to do prayer so you look up a bunch of scripture different parts of scripture that talk about prayer and like build a series out of that yeah yeah so okay so i um do you guys know the name sky jatani does a a podcast which is awesome but um he's been he does like a daily devotional and one of his series over the summer was prayer and as i was doing it i thought this is really important stuff and i need to be teaching my congregation this and so what i've been doing is sort of adapting his devotional i've been reading through it and taking the bits and pieces and then i've also been taking bits and pieces that i've learned along the way um about prayer so like the first week we just kind of talked about prayer in general um and then last week we talked about Prayer's song and kind of focused on that. And I'm hoping to do things like breath prayer and um, meditation and like, I know that sounds weird, but you guys get it. I think different types of different types <laughs> of prayer try- and yeah, history. I'm trying okay, to teach cool. my congregation different ways to, to experience God and, and talking with him rather than just the idea of, bowing and saying a few words well i'm already being a terrible moderator over time but i was gonna ask one last question of byron so byron uh as you once a pastor maybe more current uh as a, a congregant parishioner do you think pastors lead pastors preaching pastors should day in and day out prioritize sermon prep or what would be considered pastoral care and counseling or just spending time with people they should not prioritize like over a whole week i don't think you should prioritize sermon prepping now you should do it um and everybody's different but like we've talked about on the podcast before there's people who will spend like 20 hours sermon prepping that's not that's not good in my opinion in my (laughs) theological experience and opinion that's that's poor now, I never, like the rest of my esteemed panel, have never been a lead pastor. <laughs> so I never had to preach week in and week out to the main congregation. Now, I did run youth groups and Bible studies and like multiple things throughout the week every week. And I had to prep. But like when I would preach to the main congregation, I probably put at the most 10 to 12 hours into it. Um, and that's like usually over a couple weeks because I had more time to prep. It wasn't like I got to get it done by Sunday. I could take, you know, I spent a, a while brainstorming, like, what do I want to do? We're between sermon series or whatever. So it was a very different experience. But I don't think you should be spending most of your time sermon prepping because no one's going to remember your sermon. Like, they might remember some of your stories or, like, a tidbit. Like, there's, there's sermons that I remember bits and pieces of that really had an impact on me. But I have heard thousands of sermons in my life, and I don't remember hardly any of them. And the parts I do remember is like 1%, maybe. That would be, actually, that seems like a really high number, honestly. So, like, you should be out there, you know, living life with your congregants and meeting new people and being Christ. You shouldn't be writing, sitting in a uh, study, reading and writing too much. I mean, 
Well, speaking of sermons, we need to wrap up this segment. I got two more points, just so. <laughs> but to okay, be fair to my up. bestie, to be fair to my bestie, my preaching is different than than the other colleagues. So, yeah. How do you know, Amy? You never heard me preach. Or no, me. because you stand probably. Do you stand behind a pulpit or on a platform? He actually builds a living room on the stage, <laughs> and he just sits <laughs> on a couch. I roll out a rug. Will's very casual when he preaches. Okay. (laughs) It's a bearskin rug, actually. It's pretty classy. He wears a smoking jacket because he's not really a Nazarene anymore. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Segment two. Okay, we're going to segment two. Segment two is happening. I love it. Segment two is culturally relevant or things that are close to being culturally relevant because who knows, maybe they're not. And Byron, you're going to lead us off. We got five minutes to try to get all three of you in. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Byron, today's culturally relevant question. (laughs) Has anyone ever educated you on the evils of Pokemon Go? Uh, Not necessarily Pokemon Go, but Pokemon in general, absolutely. When I was a kid, and and you and I used to play Pokemon together because we got... The, the share cable and different Byron, games. Byron, why are you outing me? Why are Dude, you Dude, you talked about right Pokemon now. in your book. You're out there. <laughs> no, um, so my continue. aunt Linda, who I, I, I affectionately call Crazy Aunt Linda, and I, I believe everyone has a Crazy Aunt Linda. They might have a different name, <laughs> but mine happens to be Linda. Um, oh, my Lanta. So she used to talk to me about how it was in J- Japan. It's called Demon in Your Pocket and, like, freak out and, like, yell at my cousins, my little cousins and I for playing it and stuff. And it was great. Um, and then I learned more about Japanese culture and what the word demon means to them is not at all what it means to us. So it's not relevant whatsoever. But, um, yeah, no, I love how people get so uptight about little things like, well, then there was the media is blowing up this whole thing about a, a Catholic school saying that they got rid of the, the Harry Potter books from their library. They, they, they don't have them anymore for kids to check out. Everyone's saying because those Latin words and those spells yeah. are real words well, that really. And the mean thing is, thing. That their whole thing was like everyone is saying they banned Harry Potter and they're freaking out. That is not accurate. The the headmaster or whatever he's called, the dean or whatever, Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah, Dumbledore. Yeah, oh, yeah, Albus Dumbledore has said um, they don't actually ban, they haven't banned the books. Like if a kid brought one of those books from home to read during their reading time, it would not be a big deal. They just don't have them in their library anymore. So this whole idea of like culture wars and like our kids are worshiping Satan through Pokemon and Harry Potter. Um, but they never talk about Lord of the Rings, which has wizards and actual magic in it as or well. Or C.S. Lewis. Or C.S. Lewis. Yeah, exactly. Narnia. We love those books, but not Harry Potter. It's evil. Um, so it just doesn't make sense to me. It's people who typically who don't do any research. They just say it's bad. Like my mom, when we were kids, would never have let us play Magic the Gathering or D&D. And she still has kind of a thing against those, but she has no idea what they are because she's never actually looked into it. I love you, Mom. I know you're going to listen. but <laughs> We're going to lose her as a sponsor, But Byron, I'm just, thanks all a lot. I'm saying is we need to research things before we go crazy, especially on social media is my biggest point. Okay, okay next question. You, we need to research things on social media? Is that we need to research things before we no, post on we... social media. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, oh, Amy's okay. next. Amy is next. Amy, how do you decide what you let your kids read, watch, play, mm, interact with mm, mm, mm. In, in this vein of Pokemon Go, Harry Potter, all the evils that we have to be wary with our children on, you know, how they're influenced by them? How do you decide? I, I usually I usually talk it over with my husband. He's usually a little bit more and he's into that kind of stuff. Like he plays all of that with my kids. 
And uh, I was hesitant because, like, Aunt Linda. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I grew up. Poor Aunt Linda. I didn't want to play any of that anyway. But I remember growing up being told not to do it. Um, but so when my kids started asking about stuff, not Pokemon. I never even had a problem with that. Um, D&D, magic. I'd never even heard of magic. But, Yeah. And in fact, we have used uh, those games. My husband meets with some people on different nights of the week to play as a way of getting to know people in the community. So I think it's fine. I mean, I don't play myself. I actually think Dandy is kind of lame. But um, So you're calling me a it. nerd. No, I mean, they love it, so it's fine if they love it. But it's not something that interests me, but I don't have a problem with it. So how do I decide what... I I guess I just talk it over with my husband and we kind of hash it out together. Make educated decisions based on what you actually know about Yeah, yeah. I mean, he knows a lot more. That's called discernment. And that's good. (laughs) I don't love the little monster people, but whatever. (laughs) Will, you're up. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So all this kind of would be under the umbrella of the sacred versus secular debate, I suppose. Um, Do you think that's a debate that's even worth having? And what are your thoughts on that whole ongoing discussion within the church? um, Well, I, I wouldn't say that what you're talking about exactly. I mean, it does. Everything fits into it, as I'll say in just a moment. But but. Yeah, I don't think what you're saying exactly fits into that necessarily. I mean, in a way, it, like for you, you you're, you're more talking about like more like moralism of certain things, sort of. Uh, but I'm also with, kind of not. So it's not necessarily secular versus sacred. It's like evil versus good, and a lot of what you're talking about are, are perceived evil versus good. Um, but but yeah, for sacred versus secular, I, I think you know a ton of work has been done on this. So I, you know we people could read a good book about it. Um, but, but basically the basics are that there is no such thing. There's no divide between the sacred and the secular that if there is, then we're really limiting God, our creator. Um, so, so there is no, so for me anyway, I mean, my understanding of scripture and, 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 and this, uh, idea is that, yeah, God is, God is everywhere on the present creator. Um, and, and so, so there's no, we don't, we don't need to say that there's one thing, you know, church and state and all this other stuff. Like, I mean, those are just human concepts and ideas. So the debate of having the, the moral, you know, I guess morally ambiguous things that people don't want to let them be ambiguous, the religious legislation. But our, our time's up. I'm going to ask you one last final question. Uh, you don't think that that debate is worth having either, like legislating what is morality bad? So again, but that's not secular or sacred. That's that's just a different for me anyway. Maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding this the secular sacred or or that 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 conversation. But for me, secular sacred is different than like this legalism or moralism. So let me give you an know. example of why I'm using that. So like Christian music, you're allowed to listen to secular music, you're not. Like that's just a very okay. oversimplified explanation for what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that's more like a fundamental fundamentalism legalism kind of thing not worth the debate it, yes or no it depends it depends on what you mean 
there is no yes and no. I mean, in life, like it's not necessarily that easy, right? No, exactly. Uh, but that's kind of the so like the whole right. conversation, like Pokemon Go, no, Harry Potter, no. Like that's the divide that comes from these conversations. Yeah, I think Byron. I mean, and Amy talked about it, and Byron named it, right? I mean, discernment is obviously the biggest thing that you have to you have to go about. Like, should you listen to every? every all music that's out there probably, no, not. probably not a lot of it's really bad <laughs> i've heard some yeah. pretty horrible music so <laughs> you know and, and should you watch everything that's on netflix definitely not that's my opinion <laughs> uh I, I know i shouldn't um so so yeah i mean so that's worth the discussion i mean we, we you have to discern what's 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 good for you what's best for you um as as you know a creation of god as a human uh that, that god created in his own image but but yeah, I think that's yeah. So I, well, I, sorry, I'm being I'm being confusing. No, I, I think, like your answer, but, uh, but we're going yeah. over time again, so I'm gonna. Hey, just uh, I have to interrupt though, as the as a local cow scientist. Oh my goodness. Um, there is actually one really good reason to not let your kids play Pokemon, and I've said this for years. Um, Pokemon is not like it's not bad, except for the fact that you catch animals and fight them against other people. <laughs> so it's like dog fighting or chicken fighting or cow um, fighting. Or, or that's, cow fighting. That's an fighting. epidemic you're so fighting here's the, against, here's right? the thing. Like, th- that's a really good reason to not let your kids just play Pokemon unless you talk to them about the fact that catching animals and forcing them to fight to the death, even though in the game bad. they only quote-unquote faint, um, that's not morally right or good. But everyone talks about, like, oh, it's a demon thing. No, no. It's just a, it's a very... I don't know. It's dog fighting and it's bad. Michael Vick will tell you now it's bad. Oh my goodness. <laughs> or just people looking at their phones almost dying because they're getting run over by cars. That's well, that's the Pokemon I... Go aspect. I was talking about yeah. the actual game. For sure. No, I either get way, it. you're fighting animals against each other and you're <laughs> catching them in the wild without their like it's that's a problem. But yeah. Do you, do you have to have like a license oh for that? Do you have to no, <laughs> there, it's unregulated. Go through like the it Pokemon Conservation Department. Well, in the Pokemon world, there though, there, yes, there, there are. There's, it's or? a it's a big deal. It's big business. Oh my lads! Um, and there's there's professors who dedicate their whole lives to learning how to fight Pokemon. Okay, there. segment three. Segment you three. See, that's come. just ridiculous. <laughs> Amy, yeah. are you ready to? to it's a video <laughs> game, Amy. <laughs> They're all ridiculous. No, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Nerddom. Okay. Nerd dumb we're getting back on called. track. <laughs> segment three. Amy, are you ready? Uh, yes. You're leading, you're leading segment three off, and we're going to get a little more serious, maybe. We're going to talk about something that's theologically significant. We're going to talk maybe a little bit more about what Will hinted at, that church separation of church and state, maybe a little bit. But uh, we're going to have a, a little more in-depth conversation about it. Amy, starting off with you. Define for me evangelism. Um. To me, evangelism is just sharing the message of, of Christ with somebody. Okay, define being an evangelical, or is it different? Well, I think maybe the intention behind the word would be somebody who shares the message. But I think if we're talking about, if you ask somebody on the street now, who's an, what's an evangelical, or who would be one, they would say... I don't know how political you want me to be. They would say, oh, somebody, a Republican, somebody who supports the president, somebody who, you know, has so, all of these certain political withholdings. A political label, essentially, is kind of what For sure. someone on I the street might so. say. 
I, no, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. So my question, the follow-up question to that is, is that good? No, because I don't want that label. So the, the generalization of you obviously line with one political partisan, you know, group, and that's because of your faith. You don't see that as, as maybe conducive to maybe some of the more nuanced aspects of your faith. I, I just think what's happened is, is they've started telling people if, if you're evangelical, you must believe this way, you must vote this way, you must hold these certain standards to life, or you're either part of the team and you hold this label or not. And then all of a sudden you have a us against them. And what's happening is it's not so much the Republican Democrats, it's, it's church against church people now. And all of a sudden the church is splitting over this issue that's a political issue that sh- we shouldn't even be fighting over. So do you think that evangelical, as far as the political ramifications of that label, I suppose, do you think it's done a lot to try to maybe uh, no longer have the separation of church and state? The la- you th- say that again. So, so <laughs> do I think the label? So evangelicals, maybe the yeah. the the more influential evangelicals that would be part of that political uh, narrative that you're saying is less than helpful. Um, do you think they're doing a lot to try to bring church and state together? I I don't know. I I don't really know if that's their intention. I I think it's all a I think it's all a way to gain power. I don't even think that they're trying to do anything with the church. I think they're using they're using a position within the church to gain power and and they know that Christians evangelicals are easily swayed. They don't uh to go back to segment 2, they have no discernment. They just <laughs> trust. Well, that might honestly. be exactly why the separation between church and state initially happened, huh? I mean, yeah, I, I I'm not sure that was ever a real thing. I don't. Well, I think that it should be. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have Will jump in because, well, being the master of the divine, he can lend his seminary and education to this discussion. Will, we use this term exile sometimes, um, especially when we look at that cycle, and you know we've had some people in our own faith community that have written books about this. Um, but what does it look like to live in exile? And is that possible for us to, to do that with maybe this current perception of evangelicalism that Amy's talking about? So what does it look like to, to live in exile? I, well, let me just say this real quick. Like just, this is a total sidebar, um, that the image of exile is, is probably not the best image for this. Um, and, and, and I think Scott would tell you that now too, after I went to a theological seminar at NTS actually. And anyway, so some professors talked about that because exile, God put his people into exile. Um, and, and anyway, so, yeah. So, so to compare the two, maybe not the best, but I, but I'll roll with it and say that our, it makes sense from an American evangelical standpoint that we're in exile um, for, for those folks, because we've always been God's, we're, we're the new God, we're the new Israel, Israel America is apparently. 
Yeah, right. And uh, and anyway, and, and and so for 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 a lot of folks, they've they they haven't been able to detach the two, uh, Amer- the, the their nationalism from their from their Christianity, um, and so so the two are just like bound together. The, the their citizenship, because I guess nationalism would take it a step further, but but that's what it is. Um, so so that that's how so they do feel like they're living in exile because they feel like our country has has taken a downturn and so they vote out of fear hoping that they can hold on to something that no longer exists and depending on who you ask never really did exist uh so so it's an interesting conversation i forgot the second part of your question just because you were talking well, about well i wanted exile. you to talk about that because i think there's exactly what you're talking about is sort of what i was alluding to this maybe i don't know faux exile but versus real exile but also the the current model of being evangelical as it pertains to power and influence in the government do you think that's actually what the church is supposed to do i guess is what i'm asking you no no i don't um not not at all again i think it's a matter of fear and utilizing that fear to gain power like amy was like Amy was saying, I, I wanted, you had mentioned that you might talk about this. And so I wanted to make sure I knew where like a little bit more about the term evangelical, because it gets really hazy now, I think. And, and, and so just, I, I just wanted to remember a little bit more about that word in the first place. And the idea is, is exactly what Amy said. It's just, it's, it's just people who, who are, you know, we, we use the terms born, born again in, in, in a relationship with Christ uh, who spread who spread that message like Amy was talking about. And so that's the that was the focus. And then the separation maybe from from mainline folks, uh, mainline church folks, uh, that, that, that that would be more of a, you know, this personal relationship, this born again thing and the sharing of the gospel. Um, and, and, and like you all have alluded to, I think it has become very, very politically connected, um, especially in our current. So similar to what I asked Amy, do you think evangelicals are known more for their voting block participation or because of who they think Jesus is? Do you think the off the street person is going to associate them with Jesus more or how they vote? Probably with how they vote, but the the problem is right that their view of Jesus will be influenced by American evangelicalism, and, and and so the two for some folks may be linked together, and that's the sad yeah. part, right? Because because Jesus's identity is somehow wound up in American evangelicalism when it should be the exact opposite that our identity should be wound up in who Jesus is. That's why we call you the master of the divine. Byron. Hey, Josiah, <laughs> the funny part about is what uh, Will's talking about is he's talking about the evangelicals acting as if they're in exile. I mean, what about us? I, I feel like I feel like I'm in exile. I don't even know that I fit in the church anymore. Like it just feels like I'm constantly defending that's not what we believe. That's not who we are. That's not who Christ is. Well, you're not the so only like, one that feels that way. <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting that if they would say they're hmm. in exile, I don't, that's not how. I, and again, I'm pointing out that it's a mess against them within the church, but 
I don't, and I don't want to do that, but oftentimes I feel like I'm the one on the outside looking in. Sorry. No, yeah. that's fair. Great observation, but Byron, we have a minute left, so your answer better be good and fast. Cool, right? guys. Thanks for that. Here's my thing. Um, politics always co-ops things. So Christianity was co-opted by Constantine. And he baptized his soldiers, you know, all his, all their armor, they had to walk into the water. The only thing they couldn't baptize was their, their hands and their, their swords. So he co-opted Christianity to make it political. And since then, we've been struggling with this whole idea of faith being tied to power. Um, that's not what it's supposed to be. Because our Christ, like, giving up his life and dying brutally by being killed by the Romans and the Jews, that's not power. That's the exact opposite. He was a servant. He wasn't a master. And that's the point. So we continually, politics continually will co-opt things like a term like evangelicalism and say, oh, well, this, you know, if you're a Christian, you have to vote this way because that's what Christ would do. Well, I've said it before on the podcast. Jesus is not a Republican, nor is he a Democrat. It's not that black and white. Our political parties have agendas. I don't think anyone should trust a party wholeheartedly, ever. Um, you should think for yourself. Don't trust a party. Everything you do should have some discernment in it. So who's ever running for president or Congress up until like all the way till like the local government stuff, try to figure out what people think and what they have. They actually want to act. Use discernment. Think for yourself. Now, you should also pray about it. <clears throat> you should, you know, trust God to help you make decisions. But. If you have two or five really bad options for president, you can abstain from voting for anybody. I did not vote for president the last time around because I thought they were all bad options. And I will not vote for the, le the lesser evil because that means I'm still voting for evil. Our two-party system is broken in a lot of ways. It's very corrupt. In my, and this is all my opinion, obviously, but... Don't let the media and political parties boss you into doing whatever they want you to do. Use discernment, pray about it, learn to think for yourself. And then ultimately, if you're a Christian, go out and love people. And when they say, why are you doing this weird thing? You'll say, oh, I'm a Christian and Christ has called me to love you. There's a reason why the church grew significantly during all the time of the plagues, because the Christians are the ones, everyone fled cities when the plagues were happening in Europe, right? Christians didn't. They stayed and took care of people. And they also died in droves because of it. But they stayed because Christ called them to love and to take care of people. They looked fear, literal fear, like the, that was the scariest thing that's ever happened to humanity at that point. And they said, yeah, I'm going to stay because Christ wants me to. We have to be bigger and better and stronger than the media and political parties let us be. We need to speak for ourselves and realize that, yeah, we are kind of an exile. Um, not the way that Will was describing. I think you're right, Amy. Like they feel like they're in exile and they use that as we're, we're the victim all the time. I think the church is called to say, it's not perfect. This world is so messed up and corrupt. We need to be the strength for other people. We need to show them, Hey, I love you because I was loved first. 
Well, Byron, I'm glad you answered before I asked my snarky question. I won't even ask it now. It was well, now I want to know what it is. No, okay. <laughs> I was going to start off the question with, why do you hate America? But then I just decided not to even go into it. <laughs> we could just put out a special podcast random, me yeah. talking for 45 just, minutes straight about that, because I will do Byron it. Byron just preached you like a like a good sermon, and you just ended it with that. I w- like he asked for it. He afterwards. asked for it. I was but not again, going to do it. Hey, I can redeem it. I can redeem it real quick sure, if you redeem want. It. This is, yeah, no, well, when you were saying that, Byron, um, when you were talking about co-opting and all that, all that good stuff, I had just have a, had a conversation this weekend with a, with a guy and, and we were, I was just talking to him about his childhood and, and how he grew up and, the, and we started talking about the church and he, he, he's a, he's a, he's a member of our congregation now and and we were just talking about it. And he said, you know, I, I didn't grow up going to church at all. And I used to think that church was kind of like the mafia. And, and so I, so I said, Oh, tell me more. And he goes, well, the head, the head boss man's in Italy. And they have all this, all the, all this power. And you, and you, uh, you, you send all your, you, you, I can't remember how I worded it. You, you, you pay, you have to pay. Protection. Um, yes, you pay oh, for protection. Mm-hmm. There you go. You pay for protection. That's Which what he is said. Really that sad. actually hints to exactly what Byron. Well, the actual history of the Catholic church, uh, about it. they did that. They collected money. Right. So people say, oh, well, you can get your, your, your family. They're in purgatory. If you pay us money, we'll, they'll be out. That's oh, how God works. Yeah. So that literally is a part of the history of the Catholic Church. The part that I can't... I know, but the concept, yeah. though, even even goes further than yeah. that, though, oh, yeah. to me. Like, the protection, I mean, there's more involved in that. Well, than, what is those, those shirts that, from the 90s used to say? Fire protection. It's all about <laughs> yeah. not going to hell. It's not about doing anything good in this world or building the kingdom. It's about making sure I don't go to hell and, and I'm comfortable for the rest of, of eternity. I don't care about my neighbor. I care about me only. American evangelicalism is, is inherently selfish, and it is wrong, and it is not biblical. And I will say that, and I have See, no what's funny too. That. Like, that's bad. What's funny, too, is that the word evangelical, like I, I was saying earlier, is, is tied to knowing what, what I call knowing and experiencing Jesus. And, 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 uh, and so, yeah, so you take away. So, so it should be about that. But like you said, Byron, yeah, it's a, it's a lot about going to hell when, or sorry, going to heaven. Well, unfortunately, well, it might be about going to hell. We don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of people yeah, in, the, well. in the in the quote unquote church in this country who sell a lot of lies and hate, and I that's not part of my faith, and it's not what I see my Christ selling on the giving away for free, really not selling, giving away for free on the cross. Well, it's a broken system and it's not okay. To our listeners, this seemed like meaningful conversation that I didn't want to cut short. But Amy, did you have any one final thought? Because otherwise, I have a grace and peace send off for us. Oh, I'm just, I, yeah. I've, I've lost my train of thought. I did have something, but it's gone. Okay. Well, here's the grace and peace because <laughs> I think it's really interesting to be a person of faith and not let it be political because that's always the interesting line that that as a pastor I've been challenged with like, Oh, we don't want to be too political. It's like, no, following Jesus becomes political by its very nature. I, I don't think you can help it. Like I think things that you care about and, and that Jesus calls us to do are going to stand in direct opposition with power sometimes. So that becomes political most of the time. But um, there's, there's a final send off that it, John Wesley is going to send us off with how to be full of grace and peace. When we dialogue with those that 
may not agree with us politically. And it's a really awesome quote that I like to share every four years around presidential elections. But it's uh, it's from 1774. So I don't know what election would have been discussed here. But he says, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy, two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. I love that quote so much. Oh, man, that's so un-American, that, that English uh, priest. That's, <laughs> that's well, just not what we do, and it's so sad. That's true. So that's grace and peace. I, I guess that's how we can wrap it up. Uh, final two seconds. We're way over time today, so any thoughts? I thought, Yeah, I thought this was supposed to be the short one. <laughs> it's still shorter than the one with Cassidy and Ron. Those are like an hour and a half. Give me a break. I, 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 have, a, I have a final thought. You got like 10 seconds. Perfect. Grace and peace, As Byron. the church, we need to be better true story we, we have to be the better people we have to understand that christ loved us and we need to be better than everybody if someone doesn't know christ we can't hold them to Christ's standards they're not a follower of christ we are we need hold, to be better hold including ourselves myself. we need to hold ourselves to christ and i'm standards. not trying to be judgmental on other people i mean me too i need it every day <laughs> all right well this is it folks this is the hashtag blessed version of this podcast we try to keep it short you can continue dialoguing with us on the internets facebook instagram and twitter Uh, Or you could just subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast if you think it warrants it. But until next time, this has been the hashtag blessed version of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. I'm your co-host, Will. I'm your co-host, Amy. Get it. See you later. Bye.